this episode of Healthy Perspectives, I had a little fireside chat with my colleague and friend, Patrick Lipinski, VP Associate Creative Director of Social here at Patients and Purpose. We're going to chat about the opportunity brands have on social to foster meaningful connection by respecting consumers' time and attention, building trust through empathy, and providing value in what they share. We reference this social trends deck quite a bit in this episode. You can listen to us present it at pnp, that's p-n-p dot info slash social trends. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Kate. How's it going? It's going good. I know we're talking today, uh, you know, for our listeners, this is going to be kind of like what Patrick and I have dubbed a uh, fireside chat. (laughs) Uh, Patrick and I worked together on a deck about social trends, particularly um, social trends during the sort of disruptive period of COVID-19 and beyond. Uh, We attended a virtual version of the Social Media Week conference, which takes place in New York City every year. And for the past few years, we've gone in person and it was really interesting this year to go, quote unquote, um, where you're listening into these sessions virtually. There's a lot more outside distractions. You're not as like tuned in. You're not sitting there, you know, front and center watching. Um, so it was definitely odd, but we, we got some great learnings from it. And not just the conference, but just keeping our finger on the pulse of all things social, uh, what's going on during this global pandemic. Um, It's been really fascinating to see how social is changing, evolving. Um, But before we dive into social trends, Patrick, I would love to know, how has your life changed during the pandemic? I know I myself, like, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like a yogi, a baker, a second language learner. um, And I feel like keeping up with those things, it's been tough. You know, I, I think even the best of us can fall into a bit of a slump. Do you, do you feel like you've kind of gone through the same thing? You know, I definitely, in the very beginning, I was sort of like, all right, this is this is going to be temporary. Let's just kind of like ride it out. Um, I haven't worn a button-down t-shirt since, uh, I would say, March or so. So this is a special occasion. Um, but I, I think as time went on, <laughs> as time went on, I think it was, you know, one of those moments of like acceptance, like this is our new normal. And so it's, it's a matter of like figuring out what our new routines are within this new normal. Um, and how do we really like continue to like function as, you know, adults, uh, people, uh, living in this situation rather than just kind of like riding it out and waiting it out. So, yeah, I think at the very beginning, I, I kind of like, I kind of slacked on, you know, working out and, you know, I, I definitely kicked up into high gear like cooking because we couldn't go out to restaurants or that sort of thing. And, you know, and, and one thing that I noticed was that cooking became less of a, a hobby at the time and, and more of a chore because it literally became every single meal that we had to cook. Um, but now, now that things are starting to like open up again a little bit here and there, you know, I think with outdoor dining. And so that's been really awesome. Um, we've started to just kind of like go back to cooking every couple of days or so. So it has been more of a hobby. Making those like workout routines has been really, really important too. Cause I think like, you know, I'm sure you can agree that getting those endorphins going just like really does help with our moods, um, and our productivity. So that's yeah. something that I've just started to realize that like, I, I can't slack off, you know, um, I have to 
kind of figure out like what that new routine looks like in this new world. Yeah. And I feel like it's important to sort of reclaim that me time and pause from like scrolling through, like, you know, being locked on your screen at, at all times. And when you're not cooking or exercising, like, do you find that you're in like an en endless scroll or using technology to maintain relationships? For sure. I mean, I feel like I definitely have been scrolling a lot more through Twitter every morning just to find out what those new trends are, uh, news trends. Um, I think in the very beginning, I was uh, scrolling through the New York Times uh, obsessively, just looking for the latest data and information around Corona. Um, I think especially in the beginning, because I just wanted to know and get as much news on what was happening as possible. Um, I use video calling now too, uh, between friends and family. So, you know, even like virtual gaming apps, like uh, House Party, which I'm sure we all know, was like really, really huge in the very beginning. Um, that I think has like sort of died down. I'm not getting as many notifications anymore that so-and-so has joined House Party uh, or logged on. Um, but I, I definitely, I definitely did increase my screen time, um, you know, between getting the news and just staying in touch with loved ones. Uh, I was definitely, you know, attached to my phone and laptop a lot more. Yeah, we've def we're definitely more plugged in, more distracted than ever before, I would say. A and I'm yeah. wondering, because we are sort of now more tethered to our, our phones, how do we make sure brands and brand messaging is still getting across to consumers and of, of course in our realm to patients and their loved ones? Well, there are a lot of them. Um, are you ready? <laughs> a lot of different ready. ways. Uh, <laughs> give me <I> think, the facts. <laughs> giving you the facts. All right, so I, I think establishing relevance uh, within the first three seconds is super, super important. I know that our attention spans have just been like dwindling um, and now even more so because we're, you know, we're tethered to these devices, as you said. Um, we're using them to not only just, you know, work or like listen to the news or look at the news or read the news. It's more about like just keeping in touch with everybody, you know, logging on to do that Zoom workout. Um, so really establishing that relevance within the first three seconds is that much more important. And I think like one, a couple of ways that you can do that is really just get, get talking about like the treatment um, if it's well known um, at the very beginning. Um, if it's not, maybe introduce the disease state right away. Uh, and another really interesting way that I've been seeing is, you know, drawing on an insight that you may have gleaned from social listening that's, that's very unique and specific to that group of people. Um, I think also placing your audience in an active role to engage them is super important. Um, both Instagram and Facebook have made whole ad units available to all advertisers now. So it's a really great way to not only get your audience to engage by tapping on an answer, but also perhaps learn something new um, based on their answers that you may not have known before from social listening or any sort of like data that you may have um, had already. Um, I think finding other ways to including your audience in the creative, you know, I think everybody knows the, the awesome example from Spotify they have their year in review where the app basically serves you this beautiful data-driven um, and shareable creative based on your music uh, listening habits. But it's, it's a really great way to like really bring awareness to the brand, you know, by sharing the kind of music that you love listening to. Right. Um, I think another really fun way is uh, augmented reality lenses on Instagram. Um, they're super playful. They get your audiences to engage with the brand in a way that's authentic to social. They're already doing it. And they're 
pretty easy to create as well. Um, another one is, you know, one interesting thing that I've been learning about this pandemic right now is, you know, sound on is uh, something that we should be thinking about. Um, TikTok by default has sound on when you're scrolling through their feed. And because we've been watching and listening to, you know, we're scrolling through our feeds in the privacy of our homes, especially, you know, during the height of the pandemic, we had our sound on because we weren't worried about annoying that, you know, the subway rider or our colleague or, you know, getting being judged by our colleague or, you know, whatever it might be based on what we're watching. Right. So we're starting to consume social with sound on. Um, and I, I think like knowing that, like, what else can we do from like a surprise and delight perspective where it's whether it's just adding like a little bit of music to the creative, you know, or um, some sort of VO that kind of assists in um, or supports the creative uh, animation or video of that, some, that sort. Um, I think those are a couple things, but another another idea is potentially, and, and this I haven't really seen done too often, but it, it made me think a little bit more about like how we can use it, with, especially within the healthcare space, um, is rather than making a statement with a headline or in the creative, um, try asking a question, right? Um, so I think like, rather than saying new breakthrough diabetes treatment is available, right? Like, could it be potentially like, could a breakthrough treatment be on the horizon? So it's really, again, like putting the audience in that active role of trying to answer the question or feel like they're in on something rather than uh, talking at them, you know? So I think like, I know I, that was just a lot, uh, but I think like those are a couple of things that I've been seeing um, within social that I think are gonna catch on. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that that was great. Um, and I know this is kind of silly, but I'd love to know you brought up the um, Spotify year in review. Um, were there any guilty pleasures that rose to the top? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's always a duel between uh, Fleetwood Mac and Madonna for me. <laughs> I mean, those are pretty solid, like, listens, though, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I honestly think Dua Lipa is definitely going to make it this year. Um, her new, yes. uh, newest album I've had on repeat ever since it came out. So, um, yeah, that's definitely going to be a contender this year, I'm sure. What about you? Um, I was actually also going to say Dua Lipa. She sort of just came in like, like a wrecking ball. Like, I didn't know who she was. And then suddenly come like April, I think when her album came out, I was just like, who is she? <laughs> totally. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Um, do we want to get into trust? Yeah. So trust me? Yeah, I think I've got a, a couple questions for you, Kate, about trust. Uh, oh my God. Are you ready, ready for them? <laughs> I'm on the hot seat. Let's yeah. go. Uh, so what do you think about every brand having a quote unquote coronavirus idea? Yeah, um, you know, honestly, I think that just because the pandemic is happening doesn't mean a brand needs to be a part of it. I think like that's just like a huge takeaway message. Like if a brand does want to be a part of it, they want to have a COVID message, they, they need to remember that it isn't just an opportunity for a brief to create award-winning work. It's a chance to help and support and even just comfort a, a world in crisis. So there's actually um, a tweet that I found that really sums up like how I think we're all feeling, how, how brands, you know, are, are feeling during these like, quote unquote, unprecedented times. Um, and it says, to every brand confused about what to do right now, 
there's a fine line between being relevant and being opportunistic. Not every brand should do a coronavirus idea. Actions will speak louder than words. Everything you do or don't do communicates. It's a pandemic, not a brief. Like that last line, like shook me to my core. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I'm sure you you saw it. There was that um, there was a, a mashup of like every COVID commercial that a lot of big brands are, are doing, and it, it the the mashup is crazy because every brand in their com commercial has the same like elements you've got the somber piano music you've got the in these unprecedented times and like we're a family and like we stick together and just these words that you know i mean you you get what they're trying to capture like they're trying to you know say we're past the fact that the pandemic sucks <laughs> and now we're at how how can we get through this and this brand wants to like be there for, for you but it because every brand was doing it and it's just words, it's not actions. I feel like it just sounded trite, you know? Yeah, totally. I, I feel like in those situations, like, you know, every brand was scrambling, right? They were trying to figure out how to continue production and their immediate fallback was, well, let's just do stock video and footage, right? Stock imagery. Yeah. Um, whereas like, I, I think there are definitely so many ways that brands could have gotten a little bit more creative you know, even if it was just recording something through Zoom, which we know, you know, at the agency we've done a lot of, um, but I think like in those instances, I, you know, I, it might be controversial, but I thought it was kind of lazy of a lot of these brands to do it in, in the way that they did, because to your point, like it did feel a little bit more trite at the end, especially with that mashup where they took all the same video footage and it ended up just sounding like one TV spot across you know, 50 different brands. So I, I think in that in that instance, um, I, I think it was more of a problem than a benefit in there in that instance. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so without falling prey to being a cliche, how can brands convey trust in a smart and helpful way? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really about creating a shared journey between your brand and your brand's audience. Um, it involves a deeper understanding of that audience in order to build that trust. So I think a couple things to keep in mind for, for brands would be opt for PR, not advertising. And when I say, I mean, we're in the business of advertising, so I'm not <clears throat> saying, you know, don't advertise, but when it comes to PR as sort, sort of like that, you know, um, that angle that you take, it's more about telling than selling. It's really about building trust when a brand takes steps to join the fight against something. And in, in this case, it would be, you know, COVID, but um, it could go beyond that. Um, and really, I, I think what's nice about good PR is that there's a domino effect of people sharing the good deeds that your brand has done. Um, so it's not like you're talking at them, you're sort of presenting something to them, this good deed, and then they go forth and, and they, they share it. Um, so you can, you can talk the talk with advertising, but you also can really walk the walk with positive PR. So I think that's one. Um, the other thing is making it about the issue, not you. So using and harnessing the power of your brand voice to educate and highlight the seriousness of the pandemic and the actions that can help. Um, or, you know, instead, instead of using your brand voice, find someone maybe like an influencer, um, that can help sort of bring that message out. Um, 
And then the last thing I, I think is if you do something, make it count. So to me, I feel like brand purpose is only as good as its ability to permeate during times like this. So again, maybe it's redirecting ad dollars to support COVID-19 relief and you know response efforts, but truly whatever you do, I think it's important to make it meaningful and lasting. Like people aren't looking for you know, one-off stunt or, you know, something that sort of misses the, the mark. And while I know that those COVID-19 commercials that we just talked about, that mashup was all in sort of like good spirit and was meant to really like have this rah-rah sensibility, it just like, they used those ad dollars to make a 30 second spot versus doing something that ha had more of an impact. Totally. Yeah. You mentioned um, influencers and I was wondering if if you think there's a way that brands can actually use them to build that trust. Yeah, yeah. So this is an interesting topic. Um, we could talk at length about this, but what I will say is that um, influencers can definitely be good brand advocates. Um, there's been, I'm sure you've seen them, like news headlines that question the foundation of trust between a brand and an influencer and even an inf influencer and its audience. Um, and these headlines aren't totally without merit. I know I've seen things like, is this the end of influencing as we know it? Um, you know, there's also been like influencers that kind of get the slap on the wrist for buying fake followers or, um, you know, particularly during COVID, like um, could, the could the coronavirus kill influencer culture because you know i myself have seen like influencers flitting about you know traveling being very cavalier with you know whether or not they wear masks so there's definitely some there's sort of that like underbelly of this sort sort of thing but i i do feel like um while these headlines aren't totally without merit um in some ways it's tough because, you know, there is sort of that inauthenticity that you, you might see, you know, like an influencer can promote, say, toothpaste in the morning and sweets in the evening. So in some ways, influencer marketing has sort of become the antithesis of authenticity, but it's still important. And I do think it can be very effective. I just think that really the hope is that there's it's an end to influencer marketing that lacks any relevance and superficial measurements and is just plain fraudulent. So I, you know, there, I feel like I, I painted a very negative light, but there are influencers that are doing good that want to spread the good word. It's just, you have to sort of weed out the ones that are really just in it for fame and yeah. good things. <laughs> I mean, do you do you think like the word influencer, the term influencer has kind of gotten like a little bit, like, does it feel a little bit dirty now? Yeah, you know, it, it kind of does. Um, I, I think the term is a bit problematic. Um, to me, it's a little icky just because it makes me think of like influencing or even like peer pressuring someone to do or buy something. So from the get go, the word just doesn't feel right. Um, I know actually you and I have talked about this a little bit um, recently, but I like the term creators and I think you do too. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for, for you. 
Um, but I, I do feel like all of this like influencer fatigue has set the stage for maybe like the next generation. And, and I think that they would be called creators or it's tough because I feel like creators could be an offshoot of influencers right now, at least I think maybe in time they'll encompass the whole sort of thing. But right now creators to me are people that produce content that they genuinely care about, uh, content that adds value to their community of followers. And it just seems like um, they become sort of this one-stop marketing shop. So they'll be able to like get the content that you want by just like creating it themselves, pushing it out there, really being able to own what they what they do and what they say because they've made it. Yeah. I mean, I think like with the fact that like all these platforms, you know, specifically Instagram and TikTok, there there's so many tools that are layered into it for people to actually like get very creative with them and essentially create you know, mini ads um, or mini, you know, mini animations or videos and that sort of thing. And so like, I, I prefer almost the term creator um, because it does feel a little bit more authentic. It's something that they've already been doing versus, you know, getting a package in the mail with that new toothpaste, taking a photo with it and saying like, hey, everybody use this toothpaste um, when they may not have been using it in the first place. Um, you know, they've been, you know, snacking on those sweets instead of brushing those teeth. So um, I, I do prefer the term creator, and especially, you know, I think we're seeing now a lot of these folks who are in that space who are being approached by brands to actually take on more active creative roles within the brand. I believe Chrissy Teigen was one of them with uh, Procter and Gamble um, and Pampers where, you know, it started out as a quote unquote influencer type uh, situation, but it ended, ended up evolving into more creator-creative uh, relationship between the two. Um, and I, I think that's that's the direction that we're seeing a lot of this stuff go in. in and, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I think there's a lot of really amazingly creative people out there that can help our brands um, in a very genuine way, um, really convey the message that we're trying to convey. And I, I, think, it's, uh, I think it's a trend that we're going to definitely see more of. Um, and so... How do you think brands can maintain trust uh, with influencer marketing? Yeah, um, so I definitely have a couple hot tips. Um, I think it's important first and foremost, um, there's, <laughs> I feel like there's like a maniacal focus and need for influencers or whoever you partner with to have like the most followers. And I, I, I do think that trend has shifted a bit because now there is the the rise of like finding micro influencers but that's still by seeking out micro or macro or whatever you're still focusing on the audience size and that shouldn't be the first proxy um you know the followers doesn't necessarily mean the reach that you're looking for really the who you'll reach is the most important part um you know but you really just need to make sure that you're doing your homework, that you're, you're researching um, your, your influencer's audience. Um, and so the other thing is engagement doesn't always equal effectiveness. Um, once you've found an influencer that reaches the right audience, turn your focus to brand alignment 
to definitely, you know, ensure that relevance so it's not coming out of complete left field. Um, you know, co contrast can be fine, but remember, you know, have it locked in that context is key. Um, and I love that you brought up Chrissy Teigen because um, to your point, her partnership with PNG really it stemmed from her sharing posts about um, the brand on her Instagram, on her social, and it wasn't done in a single post. Like trust isn't built in just one post. Um, I, I think the most common risk of short-term partnerships is inauthenticity. So by the example of Chrissy, her over time sort of building this relationship with the brand, sharing the brand's messaging, values and product, yes, but really also trying to push that full sort of spectrum. Um, it just was a natural fit that they would then tap her to become the first, um, I believe her title is like creative consultant. So she's, you know, now, now she has her finger on the, the pulse of the brand, which is really cool. Um, so authenticity is a huge factor of driving trust, which I believe is earned, earned over time. I don't know why I couldn't say that word. <laughs> um, and lastly, all messages are not created equal. So this, you know, your brand um, being put out there by an influencer, it's not like a loudspeaker that a brand rents to shout out about their message. And it's also not a funding source for influencers to like take your money and run um, and not deliver on a, a brief. So it really ultimately needs to be a partnership between two brands um, and you both know the score and you both are able to just um, kind of help each other out. <laughs> totally. But I would love to also talk about, um, there's another section of the deck that we put together um, that focuses on value. So we've kind of touched upon um, attention. Our screen time has gone up. We're easily distracted. It's hard for us to like, <laughs> like stay in one place. Um, trust, being able to sort of build that affinity with consumers and you know be transparent, be real. Um, value sort sort of that I think value is great because it's that long lasting um, it's what you keep in your back pocket as a consumer like you've you've seen the content that a, a brand shares and you're able to then determine whether or not that brand has value and you put them in your back pocket because you would then think okay yeah I, I, I do want to buy from this brand or I, I do want to hear more from them because they perhaps align with my own value. So I'm curious, because we only have a user's attention for like a mere few seconds, um, how can brands make that short experience valuable and memorable and be able to sort of get in that back pocket? Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds easier than it actually is, but uh, give them something that helps them. Um, we always talk about creating these touch points along a patient's journey, but there are far more outside variables that we should really consider. Um, and I, I really think this pandemic just really made that more obvious. Um, think about the fear some patients may feel when thinking about just going outside, right? If they're immunocompromised, going outside might be terrifying. Or the caregiver that's now also a teacher um, and a gym instructor because their kids are being Zoom schooled, right? Um, or they need to get that ab exercise in, right? 
I think we should really think about how we can provide value um, to these people or offer them a thoughtful distraction even. Um, and I think one thing to think about is, you know, not everybody's gonna click over to your website. Um, not everybody's gonna click through. So what is it that we could potentially give them in those few seconds that is of value? Um, and again, that, that doesn't mean packing every single brand message that you possibly can into those few seconds. I think thinking about it more in that long-term relationship building perspective, as you mentioned earlier with like over time, um, how can we build that trust and, and, and value uh, within those posts? So yeah, I think overall just giving people, giving people things that, that help them, right? Like being aware of the things that are happening in the world right now and, and being sensitive and empathetic to that. Yeah, yeah, and, and to sort of piggyback off of that question of like, how can we as brands help more? Um, I'm wondering since we are in the healthcare realm, um, what are some ways you think that healthcare brands can really tackle this question of, um, you know, the we talk about the patient journey, but I feel like there's more to it than just that, particularly with so much going on with COVID and, and just life, you know, you're a patient, but you're also a mom, you're this, you're that. So what, what are some ways that brands can help more? Yeah, I think um, we saw the rise in telehealth happen. Um, and we and we kind of like took it for granted. We thought like, oh, great, everybody's gonna be using telemedicine now. But the reality is, is that there are a lot of people either were scared of it, they didn't know what it was. Um, they thought that their doctors, they couldn't have an, an actual authentic experience of their doctors via screen or they were just intimidated by using, you know, a computer to engage with the doctor. So, you know, one thing that we did for or several of our brands at the agency was really put out communication, um, kind of like educating our audiences on how to use telemedicine and, and why it's still important to make sure that you actually do engage and, and schedule those, those uh, uh, appointments with your doctors um, on a regular basis, even if you can't see them uh, physically. So I think that's one thing that we really did well. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting you, you bring up telehealth and uh, it, it is, it really, it's become more than just um, a doctor's visit online. I mean, I feel like it can become a real integrated part of, of care. Um, you know, then that kind of dips into wearables and all that. And actually our last episode goes more in depth on that. If, you dear listener want to take a listen but um i'm just wondering your thoughts on telehealth for maybe some of the naysayers or people who think that telehealth um they might still be a little bit hesitant is there a way on social to sort of assuage that that feeling you know i, I think it may be it may come down to the types of questions that we ask Right, like they may be different uh, when we're actually in a physical office where the doctor can read more of our body language, or you know, there's more of a history there of some sort. So maybe even using social to provide those questions, you know, they they may be nuanced. They may be a little bit different. You know, I, you know, I think it's it's worth looking into. Um, so using social to really just prompt our audiences with what types of questions they can ask. You know, I think doctor discussion guides are are very very popular within this space. Um, but how can we potentially evolve them for this new digital world that we're living in, right? Um, they may be different, they may not be, but it's worth taking a look into and potentially pulling those out and just kind of 
you know, turning them into bite-sized pieces of content for um, our social platforms. Yeah, yeah. I'm noticing, um, switching gears a bit, that more and more brands are dipping their toes into current cultural and political events. I mean, this year has been rife with that. Um, and it's tough for a brand, you know, to decide on how they're going to move forward with their messaging around that, if at all. But since it is sort of that tightrope walk, how can this messaging be done effectively to build value? Oof, that's a very heavy question. I know. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's a really tough question, but um, instead of using this time to really sell, it may be a great opportunity to really think about building those more long-term relationships with our audiences and our consumers. Um, I, I personally think about the gay pride movement um, and how less than 10 years ago, it was taboo for a company to include a pride logo in an ad or even a presence at the pride parade. And now come June, every June, except for this year because of the pandemic, um, every brand's logo on social turns into a, a pride flag. Um, every major company has a presence at the parade, right? And I think what happened this year, and I think it's because of the Black Lives Matter movement, you finally started seeing the recognition uh, and the role that Black trans women and men played in that gay pride movement in the first place, right? Um, I think it was nice to see brands starting to incorporate more of the diverse colors into the pride flag branding. Um, and so I think to that point, I, I think brands can really play a huge role in elevating um, as well as validating a conversation um, that customers will definitely remember um, that the brand played a role in. So I hope that answers your question. That was, was a lot. I have, I have a lot of emotions in this and I think it can go in many different directions, but um, that one specifically you know, meant a lot to me. No, I, I definitely feel you on that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm really glad that brands are starting to show you know, a little bit more of that real side to, to them. And actually, I think this takes me to my last question or talking point, which is kind of brings us back home to the overall theme of these trends, which is just being more human, um, you know, and it's weird because we, I think it's brands can sometimes be seen as like these one dimensional sort of facades, you know, who are you really? And when brands are able to become more human to be able to align with more um, cultural, political, um, or even just emotional feelings and thoughts. Um, it, it's really quite something. And, and I do think that it helps really strengthen that relationship with the cons consumer, with the, with the person, you know? Um, so this year definitely has taught us that brands can and should be more human with their social content. Um, I'm curious, what do you hope to see brands do more of in the years to come? Um, I'd really love to see brands recognize the role that they play in our daily lives uh, beyond getting us just to click or to buy. Um, you know, a lot of brands try to say that they're lifestyle brands, but it's really just obviously about selling more products. So I think showing more genuine empathy, um, playing an active role and giving us some sort of like something of value with the content that they serve up. Um, not, not just contributing to the noise, but actually providing us with something that'll benefit our lives. I think that's something really uh, I, I hope to see. And I think within the healthcare space, I, I think 
the possibilities are just endless. Um, and I'm really excited to see what happens uh, coming out of all this. As am I. Um, well, Patrick, I could talk social with you for ever. <laughs> let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's pen pencil in more social talk time because uh, yep. it's always an absolute pleasure being on the same team with you is a joy and oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm gushing right now, but likewise, um, likewise. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the, the time to talk social trends. I mean, I'm sure you, as well as I am curious to see how it all kind of pans out. For sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you. During this year of uncertainty, building meaningful, empathetic connections with your consumers is more critical than ever. Purpose-driven brands are effectively connecting with audiences through social by listening to their needs and fostering a sense of belonging. How will your brand take the insights from this episode and really push your social content to come across as more human? If you'd like to hear the presentation that Patrick and I put together, you can listen in at PNP dot info slash social trends. Speaking of social, be sure to follow us on all of your favorite channels. Thanks for listening. <laughs>